Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jason and here with Brian as always. We've got another great episode for you guys today. Appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't yet, uh, go back and listen to the episode we released last week with Bernardo Porter. I know it's a bit long. It's something like an hour 20, an hour 30, but I'm telling you guys, just take it in chunks if you have to. It's a great conversation with a fantastic man. Um, And so we're going to continue on with some thoughts today. Glad you guys are with us. Brian, how are you doing? Doing great. And the thoughts today are dealing with what's kind of underneath in our world because it's becoming very difficult to navigate the surface waters. And so I think maybe we should go submersive and see what's on the bottom floor of all our our life's conflicts and really kind of get to the foundation points because if we don't have that, we don't really accomplish anything on the surface. Absolutely. And and before we get into it, I would encourage everybody listening, things like this, when we when we go into conversations and topics where you're, we're kind of peeling back the layers and trying to get beyond surface things to a deeper issue, a lot of what if questions can come up and, well, how does that relate to this? Or even more so right now, oh, are they saying this? Is Brian saying this? Does Jason mean this? Those are all things that are naturally going to come up in your mind. And I encourage you guys to ask us if those questions are coming up. That's the entire point. Please don't assume something based on your experience or our experience, but ask. That's We want to create a dialogue around this. This whole thing isn't just Brian and I sharing our deep thoughts and our wisdom, as limited as it might be. Um, but we do want to take time to peel back beyond the surface because as, as we've heard countless times through everything that's going on, if the surface issue is the only thing that we deal with, if we only deal with the symptoms or only look at the symptoms of what's going on, you don't really understand the problem for one, and you can't really do anything to fix it or change it for two. And so with that in mind, we're kind of going to take it back to the beginning. This is something I brought to uh, my kids. We were sitting down at the table and you're trying to navigate our, our world. And it was important that we get to some foundation points of how do we base who we are in our identity? And these are things we've talked about for the last year over knowing who you are, knowing what's been given to you, having the courage to stand in those things. And when you do, influence begins taking place around you. And if we do anything outside of some of the core principles that make us uh, individuals that make us, if you're a believer, sons and daughter of the king, if we start making decisions outside of that core value, you're either going to become obstinate or you're just going to patronize, creating a worse problem than what was existing before. Because at the heart of everybody, everyone is trying to get to a core truth about what they really are. Some people have uh, a core value based in bitterness. Some people have it based in uh, a, a confidence, and those come to the surface later on. And again, even as we are talking through these things, we may be hitting a truth that you might be saying, well, which side are you on? What are, which side are you playing? If we get to the core truth and know who we are as individuals, we can begin navigating and we can actually have a platform to build. So a truth is a truth. I don't care who you are. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care the political uh, viewpoint you share. I don't care whether you what whatever you believe. 
If you're flying in an airplane and the engines go out and the wings fall off, you're all going to crash because there's a law called gravity. So when we understand yep. some basic humanity laws, nothing, everything is built on that. So you can have anything you, any idea that you want, but if it, it goes contrary, you can never truly be free. So there has to be some foundation points that are unchangeable throughout time that when we understand those things, that is going to be what either allows us to be free or not. So what? let's get to one of those foundational things right off the bat here. Before, before we were recording, you were talking about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. And as, as you and I have been talking the last, specifically the last handful of months, but really these are conversations we've had for years, there's, there's so much more to these stories that I never saw growing up. And I grew up in the church went to a Christian high school, went to a Christian college, and there was so much depth in these things that I'd never seen. And I don't mean depth like, oh, here's something different I could preach about from this verse that I haven't preached about before. No, there's there's some really deep truths to how humankind operates, how we're designed, how we function, that we have completely missed. I say we as, as the church in, at large, we've completely missed in these stories and completely misunderstood at times. So... As you and I were talking before, what are some of those things and what's one that we can start taking a look at and kind of walking through these steps? So let, let's just explore um, Adam and Eve briefly. And again, for you listening, we're not going to go through all these whole stories, but we're going to pull out some points. And again, I, to use the gravity analogy, if you don't like what gravity's doing, to have an attack on gravity to try to remove it from existence will never make you free. So again, these are some gravity points that have been in humanity since the beginning of time. And I love history. I love military history. I love cultural history. I'm in the middle of studying some of uh, some Christian Enlightenment uh, era uh, writers of the late 1700s, early 1800s, and some of their thoughts. And it's interesting, they're wrestling with the same issues that we wrestle with today. You go back to the time of Aristotle and Plato. They did not like each other, and they were wrestling through some of these same issues. You go back into just all these different time periods. These issues have always been wrestled, but uh, they always keep coming back to this platform of these common these common ideas. So, And I'm going to ask you a question, Jason, so I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, so I'm not trying to preload this. Did God put oh boy. the tree in the garden to tempt them, to see if they would obey him and to give them free will by allowing them to be tempted by a tree in the garden? I mean, that's essentially everything that I grew up learning and believing. So there's, we, we would talk about this idea of free will. You have to be free to choose left or right, up or down, choose God or not choose God. And so the tree was always... The mechanism that they were allowed to choose by. So God gives them free will because they can't truly love him without free will. If you don't give them free will, then they're just robots or they're just angels or they're just some kind of lower being that you can't have a full relationship with. And so the tree's placed there so that they have the the chance to choose and they chose wrong. And then that's when everything fell apart. That's that's what I grew up with. So I, I think we would all agree with that and to the premise of free will and the individual. Uh, that is throughout history. And 
if, if you look at the stories, every story in the Bible is really not about a group of people, even though a group of people is involved, even though a group of people is affected. It's always a story about an individual, of God meeting an individual and then something happens, or God uh, impacting an individual and then they took action and the effects of it. It was always this relational individual point. Well, as I was sharing with our kids uh, Sunday morning, we were talking through these kind of core ideas, and I thought it was very interesting is God actually never tempted Adam and Eve with the tree. He put in something not to eat from, but they never actually were bothered over this tree. They, they were never looking at it. They never were envious of it. They never even had a thought about it. They didn't even consider it until another voice came in to undermine something about God. A great example is um, there was a, a tribe in South America uh, in the early 1900s, and they were starting to do some oil drilling, and they were trying to get workers to come and work for the company. But these, this, these, this community, this village was completely content. They had lived for who knows how many hundreds of years functioning. They had a good family structure. Uh, for all intents and purposes, they had no need to want to go work for this company. So they came, the, the, the oil company said, how do we get these people to work for us? I mean, you could for, do forced slave labor, which I'm not saying throughout history, that has not happened. So how, if you can't force a people into slavery, what's another mechanism to get them ensnared to want to do something for you. Well, they didn't want anything. They had lived kind of, you know, in, the, in their, their way of living. They didn't want Western goods at the time. They didn't even know about Western goods. They had no need for money. They had survived and they lived off the land. They did all these things. So what they did was they got Sears Roebuck catalogs. And they sent them into the village and showed them what they could have. But they needed money in order to get that. And again, I'm not against making money and I'm not against drilling oil and I'm not against any of this stuff. I'm talking about, I want you to kind of hear the underlying motives. So they got them the, the Sears Roebuck catalogs and they started seeing what they could purchase. So then they wanted to go work for the oil company to make the money to purchase these things that they did not need before. They did not even want before. So they had to create this want for something that they did not have in order to do the thing they normally wouldn't do in order to obtain the thing now that they didn't even know they need that knew they wanted. So if you can kind of catch that whole circle. And in a way, it was mm -hmm. the same thing that took place in the garden. So Lucifer comes in through the snake and convinces Eve, did God really say that? Don't you know you're going to be like him if you have this? And doubt of who she was and, and doubt and belief that she was missing something. And it says at that point, she saw the tree, that it was good and good to eat, and desirous for one that would make you wise. And it was the first time the tree now became a temptation. And I think it's really important to see Adam and Eve did not walk around with a temptation to that tree until someone convinced them 
that they were less than or missing out on something better. And then they chose to enslave themselves to the tree in order to obtain something that they already had. And if you think about that, it doesn't that really lie at the heart of essentially every temptation where something comes up and it, it creates this need in you that wasn't there before necessarily and says, you need this and this is going to help you either feel better or become better by this metric, or it's going to fulfill some kind of lack that you have. I mean, Paul even talks about that in the New Testament, where he says, I wouldn't have known that it was wrong to covet, or I wouldn't have even known what coveting was if there wasn't a law that came in and said, don't covet, because that's bad. But now that that's there, it's all I can see. Now that that, now that, that billboard is in front of me, all I can see is, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if I had this thing? It's really interesting to me to look at it that way because it's, it is a very different light from, you know, God just needed to test them and see where their faith was at. Because to be honest, if that's the position, then doesn't that create maybe a subconscious distrust of God or his motives? Because if, if he's the one placing these things there, or at least he did in the garden, then how can I really trust his motives? And we talked about motives the last about month or so. And if you don't know the motives behind someone that's approaching you or giving you information, then you you can't really trust even what they bring to you, what they give to you at face value. And so if I can't trust God's motives towards me, then how am I ever supposed to have a relationship with him, a healthy relationship, let alone call him my father and say that I'm made in his image? And if I am made in his image, then doesn't that mean this tendency to tempt people or put things in their path to see if they'll choose right or wrong? Doesn't that live in me too, if I'm made in the image of God? So it creates all these like crazy problems that we've got to that we've got to deal with. But it's actually pretty freeing to realize, no, he's not some trickster. He's not some chess player that's moving pieces around, that there is an enemy, and that's that's the source of these things. But then let me ask this, is, is there some sort of, and, and maybe this is where the, the example with the village breaks down, because every, every example, every metaphor is going to break down at some point. Is there an aspect to where they were simply naive to a better life they could have, and that the, the people bringing that information actually gave them the opportunity to live a better life if they so chose? That's a great question. That, that, that right there is the great question. And we, we could say, yeah, see, they were actually trying to do more things for them and provide more things and give them new opportunities. But it, it goes to this core, thing, core idea, and I'm, this is a hard example because all of this is being done in a fallen world. So I don't want to make it that everything that they were mm-hmm. living was better. Maybe they were only, their lifespan was only to 40 years old because of disease or whatever. But to them, they were free. Those villagers were free. They understood yeah. freedom. They are free to choose. They are free to their life until they realize someone convinced them that they were missing out on something. And don't don't you see this a drive in our whole our whole world today? Now, do I want to improve? Yeah. So, Brian, are you saying that it's wrong for me to want something more? I think it's wrong to become discontented where you're at, but I don't think it's wrong to be dissatisfied in the sense of 
A tree mm-hmm. is not satisfied being a sapling. It's content being a sapling, yeah. but that tree's going to grow, and it's designed to bear fruit and to expand and to enlarge and to provide more and to move out. And it doesn't mean that we don't come and bring new information to lift the life of others. But I really want to deal more with, like, I'm all for innovation and to do more to expand. I love it how Elon Musk came in and after 10 years of not flying, came up with a new solution that in the long term would be way cheaper. And we we put man back into space without having to send our men over to Russia and barter with them to get on their space capsule to be sent up into space. I, I love it that there's this innovation and exploration and to to go into new worlds and to venture into new arenas. This is creative. Even God said in the garden, so think about what he said. There's there's a tree there. By the way, the tree wasn't bad. Just for everybody listening, at no point was the tree bad. Just the use of the tree was different. Don't eat of this one. But it didn't say the tree was bad. And then he said there's these rivers that flow out, and there's there's treasures at the end of them. In other words, go explore. Go out. I don't plan on you making your world here in Eden. There is more out there. So in us is a a desire created by the creator. I mean, think about a universe he created. He he created an earth, put us on it, put us in one geographic spot, and then he creates a universe that is almost unending and is continuing to expand. So he created something that would be forever a part of exploration and expansion and growing and innovating and all of those things. So all of those things, that is from God. But the issue lies when someone tries to short chain, shortcut it or say we're being cheated of something. Adam and Eve were not being cheated. They were not being withheld from. They were not being denied something. They were being convinced they were being denied something. And that spirit is what the problem is. And you can also look at the motives again, not to rehash that word too much, but in your example of the village and the oil company, and in the example of the garden, the motive of the person bringing the change in was not to lift the person they were talking to up. The, vil- it, the company didn't come in to lift the villagers up and say, hey, what kind of life do you want? How can we help you? No, it was, how can we get these people to help our ends, to help our goal? The enemy does the same thing in the garden. It wasn't, it wasn't that he wanted Adam and Eve to be more free than God made them or to be more wise than God made them. He wanted to take and be given the authority and position that they had. And there's, there's a whole lot we can talk about that. That'd be for another podcast. But every single time, the motive of the person is not for the, the one they're looking at or speaking to. It's to build themselves up. And you see that same thing in the story of Cain and Abel, for one, but you see it throughout our history, too, like even just modern history. I want to be, be careful how I say this because I'm not coming against a movement or, or groups, but there are so many movements that started in order to promote themselves or promote the people at the top of those movements. But they were masqueraded as being for the people. 
And you can look at that in a political sense. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not even looking at anything happening in the last week or two in, in America right now. That's not what I'm looking at. But that's a judge of character of a movement and of a person. Is what they are bringing to me meant to lift me up? And then we need to look in the mirror and say, is what I'm asking other people to do, what I'm encouraging them in, is it to build them up or is it to make myself feel better? The thing about a movement is a movement is a relief of pressure that release the waste of something. And we need movements to relieve pressure to get rid of the waste. But it is not the end, it's the release, so that new can come in. And so, just biologically, when you have a movement, it's important. And if you don't have a movement, it's, not, it's damaging to your body. But we don't embrace the movement itself. It's the embracing of newness and a releasing of something. And so to say I stand with the movement, it won't be long till the movement stinks. I don't care what movement it is. Christianity is not a movement. It was a way. It was a way to life. And people died for it. Mm -hmm. and they, and they, but they lived it. Um, people standing up, uh, quite honestly, Martin Luther King Jr. was not a movement. It wasn't something that shouldn't have existed that came about. It wasn't a reformation of something old into something new. It was a lifting so that way a newness of the reality of what was already given to them could stand. They were, they were, they, because of the platform and laws and, and foundations of a nation that all men were created equal, they just took that and said, we are equal, and no more are we going to be pushed back. This, to call it a civil rights movement isn't even an accurate description. It was basically a, a lifting and a rising of those that were designed and of equal equal value and and that had been stripped but to make it just about the movement itself and constantly be having movements is basically empowering the sewer system it is not empowering life and new things coming in and part of it is if we don't know where we're going and we just know where we came from that's a problem. So it might depend on how someone looks at the word movement, because I think people are going to define that and picture different things just from that word. Um, and so whatever, whatever way your mind goes with that, the question I would ask is, what is the point of the movement? Is the point of the movement to lift itself up or is it to lift other people up? So if it comes down to a decision where you can do something that's going to benefit the organization or do something that's going to benefit the people, what choice do you make? And that, that should be a pretty big determining factor. So back into the story of Eden and, and Adam and Eve, after they fall, after they become enslaved to an idea that they are, they are a lesser being than what God said they were, coming from a deceiver filled with jealousy, filled with anger, filled with malice, uh, Jesus was called called Lucifer uh, 
he was a liar from the beginning. He'll be a liar in the end. He's a murderer. He's there. It's the embodiment of evil is coming to lower a human being into a lower place to have power. Because Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth. And the moment they stepped into a different position that they were not designed for, that they were not created for, they went into internal structure to try to live through that. And again, I want to reiterate, when you read following this story, God's still looking for them. God was always in pursuit of them. This wasn't a separation from God. This was a separation from Eden, so they didn't destroy it now because they didn't know how to rule and reign. They surrendered that, so that was now protected. But God's presence didn't want to leave them. To God, Adam and Eve was in their image. He was the, he was the divine creation. All of earth, it said for six days he created everything, then he rested. On this, who was created on the sixth day? Man, to rule and reign over it. So this was the gift to mankind. And so God wanted to work in harmony and and the one he loved and be in him and fellowship and that communion. So now we come around, a prophecy spoken over Eve, out of your loins, a seed will be born, another position. And that seed will bruise your head, Lucifer. And so we see this seed would come about to take back what was just lost. So right away, an answer is coming in to bring restoration. So I lay all that out because that gets into our next part of the story with the Cain and Abel. So now so now we have Cain. He comes in, and he's going to give an offering to God. He takes all the labor of his hands, and he comes, and he brings an offering to God. And I know we talked about this on a previous podcast, but th- this is so critical to our time and space, because if you can catch the spirit behind all of these activities, this activity with Cain and Abel, the activity with Lucifer and Adam and Eve, is the same activity that is taking place in our world today. And if we don't understand that activity that's at work, we will blame people, we will point the finger at people, we will rip, strip people, we will go to war with people, we will divide people. This spirit of division and this this breaking down of a relationship that was designed for our fellowship is at the is at the core. And so this goes throughout all of history. So it all can be stemmed back to these two stories. The idea, well, it's because of sin this is happening. Yes, that's true, but we have to see what was going on in that that made it sin. What made it, the word sin means to miss the mark. Miss the mark of what? The mark of what you were designed for. That's what sin was. So the moment we step into that, you're missing the mark of what you were designed for, the position you were designed for, the role you were designed for as rulers and reigners with him on this earth. That was missing the mark. So Every time sin is mentioned, reprogram your thinking to the idea it's sin because it's causing me to step away from what I really am. That's what sin is. So anything that strips that, wow, maybe I can get my life from over here. Maybe I can, boy, if I just had that, then I would be. Boy, if I could just have that role, then I would be. Boy, if I could just have that position, then I will be. That is a sinful thinking because You're trying to think, if I had, then I would be. That was missing the mark, because you're marked for something greater. So with that in mind, how how do we now look at the story of Cain and Abel? Because just like in the garden with Adam and Eve, there's some things that that I think stand out with that perspective, and you kind of miss these things 
if all you have is the the cartoon version you learned in Sunday school, because you'd mentioned that God did not abandon Adam and Eve after the fall. He also didn't abandon Cain after his issues. And it's it's kind of you kind of have to look at it from a different lens than maybe some of us have grown up with, because it's seen as there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, the bad guy killed the good guy because he was good, and then God cursed him. And that's that's really not what's going on there, because it goes back to that exact same principle. There's this man, Cain, who sees something that he, he's got this idea of of lack, and I have to destroy this thing in order to become something better, or in order to become what I want to be, or because this thing is different than me or opposed to me, I've got to destroy it. And how often is that the core of things that we will disagree with or issues that we will face or temptations that come our way today? Because it's something that that points out a flaw in you or perceived flaw, and that keeps you low. That keeps you in a lower state of being because it either points out a flaw that you think you have, whether you do or you don't, and it keeps you mentally low until you act out and lash out from that. Or it paints someone else as an enemy, as them holding you down and them being the reason for this pain and them being the reason for this flaw until you lash out at them. Do you think there's any similarities there or is it a completely different shift in the story? No, I think there's some huge similarities. And I think even looking at the story with Cain, Cain is the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. So every race, every creed, everything was in Cain. So in this story, it, it, it actually gets to more of the heart issue. Now it's as, as the world's expanded and different people have come out of that whole union with Adam and Eve, here we here we sit, and now we're fighting over still surface issues, and they're real issues. I I don't I don't mean trivial issues, there I mean surface issues, which means mm-hmm. we're not really getting to the heart of the matter. If if I just want to clarify that point, serious issues, but they're but they're surface in comparison with, to what's going on deeper. So Cain is now at a point where he comes and offers a sacrifice. Abel comes and offers his sacrifice. His is accepted. Cain's is not. And again, I I don't want to get into so much what was the actual sacrifice that made one better or the other. Everything here has to deal with motive. It has to deal with position. As we read later in uh, Genesis 4.26, Abel was the one that was going to be the seed that bruised the enemy's head and restores back to the kingdom. Through his lineage, that would come. Through Cain's, it was not going to come, but it didn't devalue Cain. It didn't mean Cain was not valuable. It didn't mean Cain wasn't uh, important. It, it just, they were going to have a different role in their world. And this is what's really important. And it didn't mean one was going to be more wealthy and one was going to be less wealthy. It didn't mean one was going to be a a leader and one was not going to be a leader. It just meant what their role and their purpose of life was going to take on a different dimension. And what we see is when when Cain gets angry and God comes to him, and when, when God comes to him, he says this. 
and I know I read this before, but I want you to catch the heart. This is the core of every heart issue that we deal with in our world today. It says, God did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? In other words, because God didn't accept it didn't mean he didn't accept Cain. So Cain, God's like, Cain, what's the problem here? Because whatever the reason was for that sacrifice, it wasn't to honor God. Something else was going on. It was some other some other idea in Cain was taking place at this moment. So he was doing something to get an approval, and he was disappointed with his outcome. But Abel was not trying to get approval. He just came to offer a sacrifice. But if we look at it from the context of what was taking place, Cain did not know who he was, and he wanted Abel's role. Abel knew who he was, and he was just being Abel. What made Cain the most mad is Abel was being Abel. And if Cain would just be Cain, there wouldn't be a conflict. But the problem was Cain wanted the role of Abel. Again, not economic, not societal position, not hierarchical position, because in the family, Cain was the highest of the hierarchy. It was something different. It was the role and the purpose of Abel. And then it said this, if you do well, this is God talking to Cain. Again, I, I said this before on another podcast, this fatherly role. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Doing well at what? Who you are, Cain. Just be who you are. If you do well at what you are, won't you be accepted? And accepted by who? Accepted by God? But Cain wasn't looking for God's acceptance. Cain was looking for the acceptance and approval and the value that Abel had. And this became about Abel. To Cain, it wasn't about God. It was about Abel. And don't you see, this is, this is that, that, that influence that Lucifer brought onto Eve. I'm going to get you to see yourself less than, so now you become angry at anything that sits above you, and you'll look for other resources to accomplish that. Then he goes on to say, if you do not do well, sin lies at your door, and the desire is for you. The desire for you, Cain, to miss your mark is for you. The desire for you, Cain, to step down into a lower place is for you, is, is coming after you. It wants you. So in other words, this is what's really important in everything going on in our world. There's not an evil group and a good group. There is individuals that have the capability of doing good and the capability of doing evil. And it all falls on the individual, the individual to choose that. If I join a certain church that I think is more predominant in the community, it doesn't make me a better person. It doesn't make me good now. I might be going to the quote-unquote good church, but it doesn't make me good. But if I want to tie my name to that 
So therefore everyone thinks I'm good because I'm part of the good church. And now I get my identity from the goodness of that, what, whatever they've done in their community. Like if, if, let's say there's a great humanitarian work that the whole world just adores and loves, and I join that humanitarian work and start doing it, you would say I'm good, but it doesn't mean my heart is good. I could be just as evil and malicious and wrong motives and all of that stuff. It doesn't change who I am. It changes how you see me, but it doesn't change who I am. And this is what God was addressing with Cain. And he said this, its desire is for you. Why is, it, why is it for him? Because it doesn't want Cain to see who he really is. If Cain sees who he is, he can beat this. And God says to him, but you should rule over it. In other words, Cain, you have the responsibility. I'm giving you power over this. I'm giving you rulership over this. What is God affirming in Cain? I see in you a ruler. I see in you someone strong. I see in you something capable. I see this in you. How did Cain respond to that? He goes out in the field and he talks to Abel. Wasn't long after the conversation, he kills him. So you think about it. What was the conversation over? He was still angry at Abel's position, his role, his purpose. And he wanted that. And if he couldn't have it, you're not having it. And if you can't have it, I'm back in the lead again. I'm the guy. I get to have your role by default. And that's what is taking place. So that is also, oddly enough, a, a mentality that we see in some of the most evil, you can say, um, political or governmental issues in like the 20th century. It's been that mindset that has brought people flocking to it and supporting it. So whether you look at um, the Nazis, you look at Marxism, you look at um, all these different things, normal people left on their own don't just come to these conclusions. But if there's a mindset slipped into where, for instance, these people have something that's rightfully yours, Either they took it from you or it should be yours. And so now we need to go and take it back, whether that's true or not, actually. So the validity of that statement actually isn't even the point if you peel back the layers enough. Because if it is true or if it's false, how should that affect my actions? And, and it, it might change the actions, but my point is this. Now, if, if you've bought into this, whether it's true or not, now you're a part of the collective mindset. You're a part of this group, and you're supporting that, but you don't get to control the direction of it anymore. We, we saw this a lot. That's, there's, there's so much um, that we'd have to talk about this to explain it, but that was one of the things that brought numbers into the Nazi ranks. It wasn't just that there were so many millions of evil people that wanted to be evil and exterminate the world. It's that a mindset crept in of, you need to do this because there's something that we are going to get for you that you deserve that you don't have. And because of that, they supported things. And sometimes, sometimes not being fully aware of what was going on, but again, that's not the point. But you look at the same tactic that the enemy uses to get people onto that train and onto that track of evil and to do reprehensible things. And it's, it's a dangerous thing. At times it looks like it's valid. 
you can make a case that Kane should have been the one to have Abel's position. Like, why? You can make a case that it's, you know, God being unfair. I'm sure Kane looked at it that way a bit. God's being unfair, so I got to write this. I got to make this right. But that only leads to death and destruction. I don't know how many more examples we need in modern history of that way of thinking leading to death. That the same thing happened with with Eve. Isn't that what the the snake said to her? God's holding out on you. There's something more. He's cheating you of what you could really be. And it didn't empower her hearing those words. It disempowered her. So now she had to depend on a new source in order to try to obtain that, which she could never get to, because she already had it. This is the same as with Cain. Yeah. Is Cain, in his mind, sin, the, 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 that spirit of darkness just was working on him to convince him that something that Abel had was shortchanging him from being everything he could be. And it was a lie. And when those lies become so a part of our thought process, then all of a sudden we start looking at people as the enemy versus valuing the person right in front of you as their unique purpose and my unique purpose, and we flourish together. This quote is pretty interesting. This is from Johann Wolfgang von Goth, or Geth. He, he was a, a, a writer in the, from Germany during the 1780s into about 1820, 1830-ish. And he wrote this, Oblivion is full of people who allow the opinions of others to overrule their beliefs in themselves. Let me say that again. Oblivion is full of people who allow the opinions of others to overrule their belief in themselves. This is so true. I mean, what a powerful statement. And that that's what went on in the, in the foundations of our world when everything began to be dismantled. This is the thought process that existed. Malice envy, strife, uh, anger, murder. Think about the Ten Commandments. Let's remove the Ten Commandments as something that we are striving to accomplish. They were just put there to expose motive. And even Jesus said, it's not the actions that you do that indict you. It's your motives of your heart. You may not do those acts, but your heart is filled with all of this. And then he goes and says, because your father is Satan. He was the father of lies from the beginning, and he's still the father of lies today. What was the lie? You're less than what he created you to be. That was the lie. So in a sense, the enemy came in and convinced us we're lower, but Jesus comes in and models a relationship. And what does his message say to our ears? You're far greater than what you think you really are. You're far greater than what you think we really are. And when we've lived in darkness for so long, light becomes a torment. 
Do you think on one hand, all these principles we just talked about here, do you think that there is a tendency to, to kind of to separate our current reality, our 21st century world from that? Because there's such ancient principles, there's such old stories. I mean, even, even things in the early 20th century that we look at, a lot of people will see those examples of history and... And, and really, if, if it comes down to it, they'll really separate themselves from it. So it can't really apply to me as much because situations are so different. And again, this isn't really, this isn't really pointed at things that have been going on in America the last couple of weeks or the last few months. But I think if, if we're all honest and we take a look at how we, how we interact with these principles, if there is such a strong, a strong push in in Christianity, in the Bible, in, in Jesus's example, in God's, in God's layout of humankind, of you as an individual, as a son and daughter rising up, and that being the main focus, if that's really true, how much effort and time and stock do we need to put in to the specifics of what's going on around us? I guess maybe a better way to ask that, because that doesn't seem to make sense even to me, and I just said it, what does that actually look like? Like, what does it look like for me to rise up as an individual, especially in a culture where individuality is becoming less and less of an important thing every single day? I mean, I, I can barely remember times now where I see people rising up as individuals that are not part of a, are not, not thrown into some kind of group or not trying to tag on to some kind of a group. If you don't believe that there is a creator, if you don't believe that he wants you in his family and sent Jesus to invite you back, in, to, to bring you into his royal family, to make you a new creation, if you don't believe that he created everything, if you believe that God doesn't exist, if you believe the world evolved from nothing, if you believe... Um, that we're still in an evolutionary process, I will tell you this. You would have to get rid of Christianity. That's in the way. Because that's going against your belief. You would have to get rid of a foundation of law. And when I say Ten Commandments, as a believer, I don't need to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. In the context that... When you are when you experience the love of God into and being born into your position, your nature is I don't want to murder somebody because I'm already in my they can't take my position away. I'm already in my position. I don't want what they have because I already have everything that I I can I need. I don't want to take desire somebody else's things because I'm already satisfied with what's been given to me. Because I'm I'm I am what I am, just like Adam and Eve were given everything that they needed. So those laws are already written in me. They become part of me. So I don't have to try to do those laws. Now, in the, the same context, if I don't believe in a God, a creator, then I would I would it wouldn't be it would be normal to take Karl Marx's view that remove Christianity. And if you remove law altogether, 
then I don't need any of those things because the law is basically my survival and accomplishing what I want to create. So you remove morality because morality is just a myth of a, of a hierarchical system that wants to hold you down. You remove any sexual restraint or, or anything that quote unquote denies you pleasure of whatever you just want to do because that was only given to control the masses. You remove family so that way the people could not be conformed to a parental group that loves and nourishes and develops because then they're going to be thinking differently. They won't be thinking in line with the group. So you break down the entire family. So you get rid of the family. You get rid of the, the uh, any kind of moral compass. There is no real right and wrong except what benefits the state or the one that's creating the utopia. So you have no no law, law uh, boundaries. You remove a moral compass because there really is no moral compass because that was given to us to control us. So you remove all of those agencies. And then what you need to do first is destroy all of those agencies so that way you can accomplish the true evolutionary process of a godless world to create a, a man created by man, which Karl Marx, the Marxist man, it, that's, that's what his desire was. His two missions in life was to destroy Christianity and destroy capitalism because it hindered the masses. Yet, at the same token, how do you really do that to get the masses? You remove light. If everyone is in darkness, you don't desire hope anymore. What people don't understand is when Russia formed and was forged, all of these processes were put into place. Every single one of those. Why? Because remove God, then you don't really need a moral line. You don't need any, there's nothing really right and wrong anymore except what the state says. It was in 1930 in communist Russia when the form political correctness was brought about. Political correctness means what is legal politically? So whatever the sway of the political venue, wow. that became the new law. And just so you know, of the hundreds of millions of people that lived in Russia at the time, only three million were joined to the Communist Party. So three million controlled the life of all the rest. And so you had to remove those that went against what you believe. And you might be saying, Brian, that is not what's taking place in our world. Let me just say, that thought is Cain and Abel. That is Cain and Abel. Cain didn't want God's approval. Yeah. He wanted, he let the lie come in till he wanted man's approval. And he wanted to do something with man. And he didn't realize he had the greater position in what he was. And so this is the process. And this is what brings me the most concern. And you know what? Here's what the, the, biggest, the biggest lie is that this idea is about a certain group of people. The idea does not agree with any group of people. There's only one group of people that will be acceptable. Those that buy in to this centralized way of thinking that abides by only one way of thinking. The moment you have a differing thought, 
you're going to be evil. You go look at Pol Pot. You go look at Mao's China. You go look at communist Russia. You go look all over the world where this idea has run rampant. And it has always had to destroy groups of people. All colors, all beliefs, all religion, anyone that stood as an individual and says, I own my own decision. I am responsible for myself. That individual was removed. You only had one thing to do, go into oblivion. People who allow the opinions of others to overrule their beliefs in themselves. It hijacks true justice because there is no justice if there is no law. Because what are you basing your justice on? Social justice. What is social justice? Whatever society is deeming is right at that moment, and it changes all the time. There is no foundation of that. And that is stripping of true people that have been done unjustice to, done evil to, because there's no foundation of true justice that isn't built on revenge, malice, evil, that all of a sudden you have one group having that done and another group operating in the same spirit, accomplishing the same thing, and it is wrong. I would add to that, it's easy to identify that kind of a structure for us in something like communist China or the USSR, Marxism, the, the idea of Nazism. It's easy to identify that because those things were constructed from the ground up on those principles. It was always that from the beginning. It's a little bit more difficult to see that kind of a mindset slowly creep in over decades and decades, a little bit here and a little bit there. And what I mean by that is this, you have, in those systems, essentially everything that God provides is outsourced to the state. If you think about it. But how many things in our culture do we outsource that God is intended to provide, that we're designed to get from Him? Just look at identity, that first pillar that, that, we, that we have things built on. How much of our identity do we outsource to our culture, our society, our government itself, our school system, our friend group? How much of our identity do we outsource to all of those things? And yet we consider that normal now. That's just the way of life. That's just how we've grown up. It's easy to be influenced by other people, and I'm not saying it's not a real struggle and it's a very difficult thing, but it, I do think we have a tendency to look at all those examples and separate ourselves from them because that could never be me. That could never happen here. The enemy is the same there as he is here. And if you think for some reason that evil things that could happen in Asia or Europe or Africa just for some reason can't make their way across the ocean into North America... I don't know what planet you're living on because evil doesn't need a boat. It doesn't need an airplane. It's all around. And I don't think you should expect people that are of the world to not be influenced by that. Now, that's not meant to be some big Illuminati conspiracy or anything like that. But if we're just being honest and looking at that, why do we think the influence of the enemy, the same way it operated in the garden, the same way it operated for Cain and Abel, that that's not at work right now, in people. 
and to be aware of how that can creep into every culture, every society, even churches. It can creep in. That's why we need to be on guard and not be fearful of it, but to have a confidence in what we are, in our identity, a confidence in what our Father says about us. And not just, okay, God says this about me, but to have that be so concrete and so implanted that it doesn't matter what kind of external organization or government comes at you to throw a new system of value on you. You just instantly reject it internally because that's not who you are. You don't feel pressured by it. You don't feel bound by it. And that's a very real thing. That's something that you can actually get to. It's not some, you know, these great men of faith in the Bible, they could do that, but not me. Like, that's ridiculous. You've got the same spirit living in you. I'm going to leave my final thoughts with this. We are in a, a very, very pivotal age in our world today. We have communication that can speak everywhere. And our society struggles at trying to make sense of what is, what is true, what is not true. How do we deal with just godless injustice and do it in a manner that truly brings true justice when it is delivered actually unifies it doesn't divide this is hard because everyone's trying to take a stand and the moment you take any position that goes contrary or doesn't fully agree to the mass or fully agree to a group or a movement or an idea any time you you take a position and you share what you believe and what you what and being authentic about yourself you come into question and you know we talk about these ideas just months ago if you said any if you said the word chinese wuhan virus you're being racist we were told that if we did not follow the orders of the world health organization we were being evil you were an evil person. You were bad. You were shamed. We were told that we couldn't say anything about China or you're bad, you're, you're, you're evil, you're, you're shaming. You, you were shamed into changing your thinking. Yet it was only two months ago that businesses in China put signs in their door and a McDonald's put a sign in their door no blacks welcomed because they started the the people had been filled an idea that it was the the african immigrants were bringing the wuhan the virus back into their city they wouldn't rent to them they wouldn't serve them they wouldn't feed them and there was no outlash there was no world uprising that was evil. But nobody said anything about them. Why didn't they say anything about them? They were stranded as guests. They were workers and guests in the country, and they couldn't get out, they couldn't live in, and no one cared. It was African countries that started speaking up and standing up to China, but no one would unite to care. Why all of a sudden did that not matter? 
because the parties that be were dictating the philosophy of our world. And that is where injustice and because there's no law. It's conformity. And I don't understand. It puts me at a loss. It puts me at a conflict. Just think about every day. I have black friends that I love. I have Chinese friends that I love. I have all, I, I live in a culture that's not mine. I love the people I work with. And when these divides start coming in, it puts questions in the relationship that you can't even just discuss because now you're like, okay, how do I say that? And you're, you're spending more time being guarded about saying the wrong thing when before you had a functional, interactive relationship. And what was the thing that Lucifer wanted at the very beginning? I don't want you to have the relationship. And this relationship piece is at the core. I can't say who I want to vote for without losing half the people. I can't say what I think about an idea without losing half the people. I, I'm, I'm, you can be bombarded by people that hide behind their computer screens, but they can't look you face to face because we don't even know how to interact with each other. That comes from the Cain and Abel story. This is what Russia did to the people when they, Lenin did to the people when they instituted this. They pitted against each other that they were so formed on an, a label, a name, that they couldn't know who they were, who to interact with, and they just dropped the guard or they became angry or they became enemies. This is evil. We need to be able to disagree. We need to be able to sit down at the table. We don't need to agree on politics. But we need to be able to come together because we see value in each other and we can hear each other and we argue it through and we work it through and we resolve our problems and we come to solutions and we disagree, but we still love each other. That's lifting someone to dignity. If I can take you when I disagree with you and we just absolutely cannot see eye to eye to, some, to something, but I'm willing to discuss it and debate it and interact, but we can still break bread together. We can still love each other. We can still fight for each other. That's me bringing dignity back to you. But if I just be quiet and hunker down and be something different, I'm not bringing value to you. I'm either just not saying what I really feel, or I'm giving up myself to appease you, but do you think I'm loyal to you? No, I just don't want the backlash of social society. This is evil. I won't be a part of it. I just refuse to be a part of it. I'd rather be an outsider. I want to be an outsider and absolutely love every person that I see, regardless of what I think about your ideas, whether I think about whether you have the best way of life or don't. I just want to love you. I love looking at my Chinese neighbor, who's also an immigrant right next door to me, and sharing. He brings over his uh, his. A New Year's gift, I bring over our Christmas gift and we share food together and we just like each other and we have completely different thoughts on life. I just want that. And I want to be able to have it that we could discuss, that we can reach more people and we could reach more people and we can reach more people, not alienating that we're afraid of groups of people unless we conform. This is where we become dumb. And this is where communism comes in. And this is where it controls the masses that no one can think anymore. 
when you can have a nation that is praised for their handling and their, their way of living, and I'm not referring to the people, I'm talking about the institution, the, the state, their, their tyranny, and they can do that, and they have no problem allowing their people to alienate a group of people based on their color, and we don't say a word as a world. Yet, we have a legitimate problem and the moment I have questions or I ask more information, you think I disvalue you because of who you are and the color of your skin. No, the fact that I want to have the discussion means I greatly value your view. And that is what we have to get back to. And the Cain and Abel issue has got to come to an end. I am happy with who God made me. I am happy with what he's made me into. I am happy the journey, and I'm humble enough to know I'm still growing. And I don't, I never want my black friends, my Chinese friends, my Thai friends, my I don't want them to become me. I want them to be them. And I want to learn from them. I want to see their view. I want to hear their hearts, and I want to fight for them. That's what I want. But I won't become part of a group. This is the legitimate evil that was there at the beginning in the garden. And it's still here today. It's the same evil. And if you don't see it back then, you're not going to be able to see it here and now when it influences things all around you. Because all you'll see is what pops to the surface. You'll see a situational issue that's a surface issue, and you won't see the evil line underneath. And I'm not saying that the surface issues aren't important, by the way. You've got to deal with an issue that's on the surface. If I'm bleeding, I can't just ignore that and hope it'll go away. You've got to deal with the surface things. They're very real, and they're very painful at times, and they're very difficult at times. But if we only continue to deal with things on the surface and never recognize the evil underneath it in a variety of areas, we're just doomed to be stuck here over and over, perpetuating the same cycle that we've been in for thousands of years. And so I hope that this helps each of us to look a little bit beyond the surface, peel back the layers a bit, understand that evil comes in a lot of different areas. And we've got to be aware of that. Well, I'm just going to say this. The idea to target your anger at a person is missing the whole mark. That's why it's called sin. But Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, restore sight so people could see, to set at liberty those that were oppressed, to unleash those that have been bound. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord that I'm restoring to you. When Jesus came, I'm restoring to you everything that you are and that's been given to you, your role, your identity, your purpose, your inheritance, everything of your that will bring the greatest value to your life. I'm restoring all of that back to you in me, in his name. There is a cause I carry, and his name is Jesus. He's the name I carry. I don't carry any other name. That's the only name that I carry. And there is a place that we miss. And Jesus, in Isaiah, the rest of that verse says, and the day of vengeance of our God, there is a righteous anger. And I am angry at what has happened to people. I am angry at what happened to George Floyd. I am angry at what at the brutality that's taken place. But I'm not angry at people. 
I am angry at the evil that promotes this. And that's what Jesus said. I came to destroy the works of the enemy. So if you don't think there's a wrath on God's side, his grace is so amazing that he lifts us into the place that we are designed and then takes us higher. He takes us into a place where we carry his name and all that he gives us. But there is a wrath and his wrath is against the evil and the works of the enemy that has come to do this to people to divide them, to force conformity, to break them into something lower than that they really are, to, to break this malicious revenge, to break all of that. That's what he came for. So you know what? There is a time to be angry, but you do need to know what you're angry actually at. To be just angry with no direction of the anger is just chaos. And actually, that kind of anger, the righteous anger... That's something that's not supposed to leave you, by the way. One of my, a verse that I see people post all the time is, uh, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And I think we have some issues in, in interpretation on that for, for certain things, because that's not actually what it says. It says to be angry, don't sin. But then it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It doesn't say, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. We've interpreted that to mean don't go to bed angry, which is maybe great marital advice, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying that kind of anger, that righteous anger to where you see past the situation and the person that it's manifesting through and you see the evil behind it, that kind of anger, don't ever let that stop. What does that look like? What is the action that comes from that anger? Is it to destroy people? No. It's to lift them up and to help free them. But it is to be a part of that kingdom, which is here to destroy the works of the evil one. And that's why I think Jesus mentioned so many times that he's bringing in a new kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. It's now. That means you're no longer part of a different kingdom. Like you were saying, I carry one name. I carry one cause. It's this kingdom. It's the kingdom of Christ. It's the kingdom of God that's here right now. Not someday when we get to heaven when we pass into the sweet by and by and go through the pearly gates, not then, it's here. And as we're here, there's still evil, and we have a responsibility to be against that. And, and with that, you can't have a righteous anger if you don't understand his deep, graceful love that he has for us. Pure yes. wrath comes from deep, deep love. And so it's not an anger that you're just constantly in a hostile position. It's you start loving to each other to such a degree that that love wants to remove what's killing someone else. And it isn't just a little do good for someone else so you feel good. It's, it is a sacrificial. Bernardo brought that up on the last podcast. It is a sacrificial thing. It doesn't mean, well, I better just give up everything I have. No, then you've not experienced that kind of love. You won't even think about it from that context. I mean, and you can see this in examples throughout history, throughout the Bible. You look at people like Esther, people like Joseph, that fought injustice, and they did it from the identity that God had placed on them. They didn't do it trying to become someone else or trying to walk in someone else's shoes. Even David, you look at the story of David that we see him trying on Saul's armor all the time, and he just he knew it wouldn't work. He knew he wasn't meant to function that way, even though that's the way that everyone around him told him he should have functioned. 
He rose up in his identity because that's what was for him. And that's our motive behind this entire thing. We don't want you guys to to be like we think you should be. We don't want you to do what we think you should do. We want you to rise up in what God has placed on your heart, your identity, what he stamped on you for you to be. And if that looks a little bit different, if we have disagreements on your positions or your opinions, or our goal is just to have you rise up in who you are. That's God's goal. That's what he wants for you. So I hope you guys are encouraged in that. I know there's a lot of chaos in the world. I know there's a lot of evil in the world, and it's not always easy to navigate. And I hope you don't come away from this thinking that we approach everything as if it's an easy walk in the park to navigate all this stuff. It's rough, and we have spent a lot of emotion and a lot of time trying to piece through it as best we can. And I know you guys are doing the same. So just know that we're in your corner. We believe in you. And we're going to keep on. We want you to keep on as well. Be who you are. Be who God's called you to be. And we'll be back next week.